Hello, I'm Anna Delaney, Director of Productions at Information Security Media Group. Very glad to be joined today by cybersecurity expert Kyle Huber. We'll be talking about how to address the underlying perpetual stress that is afflicting cybersecurity professionals. Thanks for joining us, Kyle. Howdy, happy to be here. So when it comes to stress, there's no shortage of pressure on CISO's plates, whether it's the workload or getting buy-in from the board or keeping up with security needs of new IT initiatives. What is the impact of the stress on you and your colleagues? So right now, we're in some very unique circumstances. Now, pre-pandemic, just the stress of working in security was always a critical factor in how you handle leadership, communication, even planning. The natural balance between you know, the, a chief information officer and a chief security officer, that creative dynamic tension between them is what led to the business leaders of an organization being able to make sound and rational decisions. The old joke, at least here in the United States, is that the CIO wants everything to be going full speed all the time, damn the torpedoes. Whereas the CSO wants to keep the brakes on, hunker everyone down, and try to avoid the worst possible outcomes. And somewhere in the middle is where the leaders of the business would say, all right, this is the amount of risk I'm willing to accept in order to get the amount of production capability and hit the targets that I want to get. And that's fine. That works. In fact, most of the time, I don't see an adversarial relationship between CIOs and CSOs. They just have a different perspective, but they respect one another's ideas, positions, and needs. And they cooperate to find that middle ground. Now, of course, we're in the middle of a pandemic where literally everything is worse all the time. Now, under normal circumstances, what we would see is this constant stress of just working in security would drive people to sacrifice clear communications and camaraderie and diplomacy for expediency and production. And that's normal, right? Everyone wants to hit their goals. The trouble is, this has traditionally given security a bit of a bad reputation. We're the people who only ever say no. We're the people you can't talk to because we're constantly angry because something went wrong somewhere. This is why for better part of 10 years now, a lot of academic models for how a security department ought to be organized actually have the equivalent of an ambassadorial corps or a diplomatic team. People that actually forward deploy or embed themselves or dotted line into other organizations to be involved in project planning and whatnot from the very beginning, the genesis of an idea, so that security becomes a critical part of the project early on. You're not waiting until after something's gone into testing before you find a, a huge gap. Great idea, great concept. Of course, that's easier said than done in an academic model. In reality, we're all kind of moving so fast all the time, it's very easy to get frustrated, to get curt, to essentially snap at one another out of frustration. And again, this is completely normal, right? We all just want to achieve our objectives. So this is why I love what I do in security awareness, because we often are in our companies the voice of security, but we're a voice that people don't mind talking to. We can be friendly and outgoing and empathetic, and we can translate back and forth between the users of the other departments and the security folks to make sure that everyone understands one another and we can kind of act as a liaison to reduce that stress, to reduce the tension, to help people feel like they're being heard and therefore lead to better outcomes. Well, a company might say, well, that's all very well, but we've got to validate <laughs> access and uh, identity and we've got to manage third-party risk. We've got enough on our plates. Why should we can be concerned about the stress of an employee? That's their problem. So this is a huge thing. Um, I've been talking with a lot of my um, counterparts in different organizations and been in a lot of um, industry information sharing groups. 
uh, over the last couple of years, but especially now during the pandemic, this is more important than ever. One of the easiest ways to compromise your network, compromise your business, is to allow some bad actor in. The easiest way for a bad actor to get in, obviously, is to just ask for access. Phishing attacks right now are hugely increased over where they were this time last year. Same goes for business email compromise, social engineering attacks, all manner of fraud. The bad guys look at their targets. They look for when they're the organization or the people that they're going to try and trick, basically, it's con artistry, are going to be at their least attentive. And I've been having, I've been doing a lot of counseling with people, friends, family, neighbors, and, and whatnot, about the danger of phishing. Because right now, with everyone is constantly distracted by this perpetual anxiety over the pandemic, they don't have the attention to devote to paying close attention to what's coming into their inbox or coming in over voicemail or via text. The bad guys know this. They're trying to take advantage using emotional lures and hooks and, and great deception and social engineering tactics to make people engage their messages emotionally and instantly rather than rationally. And that's what a really good fish does, especially a really great spearfish. It's designed with color and spacing and layout and stolen logos and phrasing to get you to act before you can stop and think. Now, this is why identity and access management is critical. I mean, in general, it always has been. But now the whole idea of validating who it is that you're talking to, and I've written a couple of columns about this, the idea that look, it's not just enough to look at, say, read the headers of an email or hover your mouse over every hyperlink or on every phone call, try and recognize the voice of the person you're talking to. You have to pay attention to the, the three critical clues, right? Context. Should this person be asking this of me right now? Is this normal? Is anything about this strange? And Context alone can usually give a good attack away, but then also look for or listen for those two critical aspects, the appeal to emotion and the call to action. If you've got both of those in the same communication, whether this is in person, over the phone, by text, over email, if someone says, there's a problem and here's how you solve it, right? They're giving you both parts of the issue, essentially trying to get you emotionally agitated and then hand you an easy solution that you simply have to click answer, give some information, do a thing. We're trying to get people across the board, corporate people, military people, government people, civilians, all understand this is how the bad guys get to you. And the critical part of this is anytime you are not absolutely sure you know who you're dealing with, even if it's coming from a legitimate email address, from a legitimate third party, if you don't know for a fact that the person you're engaging with is who they say they are, they have an authorized need for that information, and it's appropriate to give it to them now, back off. Validate them, validate their company, validate their need, make sure you're clear to proceed, because that on its own can help you even if their line of, of attack is effective enough to trick you. I mean, where is the solution? How do you think this situation could be improved? Is it about altered expectations from the top? Honestly, no. I think it goes the other way. Now, again, this is my opinion. I'm a security awareness person, and I've been studying people I mean, ever since I was in an undergraduate, I don't think it comes from the top. The top helps, right? Messaging from upper management in any organization that people are expected and are empowered to protect themselves and protect their neighbors is critical, right? You have to have that. But most of this actually comes, I believe, through first-line supervisor reinforcement and from peer reinforcement. People need to see others doing the right thing. Because if they feel that they are left on their own, that they are isolated, that it's entirely up to them exclusively to protect themselves and the company, that's a tremendous amount of pressure. Whereas if someone is modeling correct behavior for them, say in a meeting or in a group, 
hey, I got this strange email. I'm getting this weird call from someone who says they're so-and-so from wherever, and the person in the next cubicle over or their boss says, wait a minute, this could be dangerous. Here's how we handle that. Let me help you. Let me show you. Build that skill and reinforce the values and processes that people need. They're far more likely to internalize that and then live it in their daily lives. What about technologies? Is there some technology that can help mitigate or monitor, alleviate the stress? Are there signs we should be looking for? Well, there are definitely technologies that can help. Uh, first off, you know, having, you know, securing your information systems make it harder for the bad guys to spoof an internal email address or spoof an internal phone number, which you know, then, they then steal some legitimacy by pretending to be someone on the inside. You're making sure you've got good physical security to prevent an outsider from getting access inside. Because remember, anyone inside the perimeter must be okay. Someone probably signed them in. There are also technologies to warn you when information is coming in from outside the perimeter. There's a whole bunch of, of um, organizations and even technological tricks that you can apply to put like a warning banner or a flag or an indicator on an inbound communication that this may seem like it's an appropriate internal contact, uh, but it's not. Or this is someone from this company that you've never talked to before. Those things help. The problem with all that is you get what's called alert fatigue. That is, once you start putting like a, a, a you know, a brightly colored banner on the top of every email that comes in from outside the company, people stop seeing it after a while. They get so tired of a warning that never has anything bad happen that mentally they just erase it. It becomes part of the background. I think a lot more of this will be effective if it comes through actual one-on-one -on -one education. It's why I prefer to deliver. It's why I advocate for more in-person training. Honestly, a conversation like this, one-on-one -on -one, or even through an interactive webinar or a classroom setting, is gonna do more to help people understand with the right analogies and the right terms and the right examples, really comprehend the risk and comprehend the process for dealing with it so they feel less stressed when they have to actually face the real thing in the wild. We talk about building the resilience of an organization, mm -hmm. but what about personal resilience? Because you mentioned earlier that peers are important, but right now we don't have the comfort of our peers in the office. What's worked for you? All right, so I needed to disclose my biases up front. I hate the term resilience. I do believe in it. However, back before I retired, um, we had a huge spike in service member suicides in the US military. The Air Force implemented a system whereby they wanted every unit to have someone that would teach their people about resilience as a mechanism for preventing self-harm. Great concept. I'm not terribly sold on the execution because I'm the one that had to teach it for the, the medical unit that I was assigned to at the time. The idea that by building up our physical, emotional, and mental fitness, that this will make us stronger and more able to resist stress, okay, yes, that's true, but it's not a cure-all. The, the joke that we had when we were training it was, oh, I'm sorry, is this intense firefight stressing you out right now? Well, just go take a jog and a soak in the hot tub. The firefight can wait, utterly unrealistic. What I've found dealing with civilians and soldiers alike is that endurance is a greater ability to develop, a greater skill to invest in than resilience. Resilience is a great way to prepare for and recover from stress. Endurance and knowing what you can endure, knowing when you're reaching your limits is far more important. One of the things that I've been trying to, to express through my writing and through what I teach is that Everyone has a limit in what they can endure. They have basically a carrying capacity. And it's going to be different for every person. It's going to be different uh, for every given day. 
the, the sheer number and different types of stressors you have means what you might be able to shrug off without difficulty on Thursday, you simply can't handle on Friday. That's not a personal failing. It is not a mark of deficiency in any way. We can only endure so much. So ways to build that up, understanding how to stay hydrated, maintain your energy level, know when you're getting overwhelmed, know when you're not at peak mental performance. If people can recognize that for themselves, then they know when to go ask for help. And this is something I've been trying to express is security always has to be a team effort. It is not an individual sport. There are other people on the team. And that's what we need to get across is when you feel that you're reaching your limit or you feel like you might not be at peak performance and there's an input that you think might be a threat, rather than handle this completely on your own, trying to make the best use of your prior training as you can, ask for help. Back up, disengage from the problem, call a friend. I like to tell people call me because I'm a security awareness person, right? You want to talk to someone in security, talk to me. Even if you're talking to your, your old cubicle mate, your neighbor, a family friend, the, the postal uh, carrier, whomever it is, find a way to get that reinforcement that you need to ask, am I seeing something that's not there? Am I overreacting? Am I underreacting? What's going on? Can you help me? That's going to do far more to strengthen people's ability to recognize and respond to stressors and especially cyber attacks than any amount of rote pre-recorded training we could possibly put out. Great advice. Thank you so much, Kyle. Thank you for having me. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Anna Delaney.